Now, there is a line to be drawn between interpreting and operationalizing statutes and regulations versus interpreting a given statute or regulation for purposes of defending oneself in court. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Adam Stone, Chief Privacy Officer at TrustMap, former CISO in the medical equipment manufacturing space, and a 20-plus year veteran of both security and privacy with a strong background in GRC. I have a disclaimer to make. Adam and I work together at my day job, but Adam has straddled the security and privacy fences enough that I regard him as one of the experts in the industry on the nuances between those two disciplines and the ties that bind them together. We're having a great conversation on the subject, and I think you will enjoy it too. Adam, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks for having me, Alan. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right, so why don't you briefly tell us a bit about your background in cyber and a bit about your background in privacy there and a bit about your day job. I've been in the privacy and security business for well over 20 years at this point, served a number of uh, leadership roles in privacy and security across a number of different industries in uh, various financial services organizations as well as other healthcare organizations and a smattering of uh, other industries as well. My day job is working with you serving as the the chief privacy officer for the organization. All right. Fantastic, man. Let's just dive in and get into it. Where do privacy and security intersect? Like what's, talk to me about the intersection between these two disciplines. Well, I think the common understanding, which I agree with fully, is that privacy has a need for security. In order to make privacy work within an organization, we need the assistance of our information security professionals to make that happen. Why we privacy professionals have a real specialty on the administrative side of managing data. However, privacy professionals don't necessarily have the technical acumen that the security folks bring to the table. And so when a privacy professional needs to adopt or implement a particular policy or particular control within an organization, oftentimes that privacy professional will seek the assistance of the security professional to make that happen from an operational standpoint. That is really the key point of intersection. Now, there are secondary points of intersection, namely in that uh, many of the laws and regulations and best practices that we're all familiar with in the industry, many of these frameworks do tend to mix or to collate, shall we say, the needs of privacy within the realm of security or sometimes the other way around. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that is the way it is. And so if we take regulations such as the HIPAA security rule, which itself is is pretty straightforward in talking about how we protect so-called protected health information or PHI, We have a need to protect that information, of course, from a 
policy standpoint, from an administrative standpoint, but importantly, there are key technological elements where we need assistance from the security professional in order to ensure that protection. For instance, encryption or access controls or things of that nature, those sorts of technical controls necessary to ensure that the information that we commit to keeping private stays private within the technical or digital realm. Okay, so one thing you and I talked about before the show was this idea that security professionals need to be very cautious when meddling in the affairs of privacy, and not in the affairs, but in the in the rules and regs, right? In other words, privacy is relying on security to get some things done. But I think a lot of security professionals, because of that, tend to feel as if they've got some privacy chops. So my next question is kind of the, the opposite of what we just discussed. Where don't they intersect? And what are kind of some of those warnings for security folks about, hey, tread lightly in this area? That's a great question. Here's my sense. Privacy professionals and security professionals each have their own sponsors or their own uh, individuals that they are protecting, their own things that they're protecting. On information security professionals, if you responsibility, if you break it down just to its most essential part, is information security professionals are in place to protect property. Mm-hmm. Namely, they are in place to protect the property of their sponsor, usually a corporation, but other organizations. Their job is to protect stuff, whether that stuff is digital or whether that stuff is physical, doesn't necessarily matter. But the point is, is that when a security professional acts, they're acting in the interests of their sponsor, protecting their sponsor's stuff. Okay. Now, that's a little different than a privacy professional. I would argue that a privacy professional is protecting something different. The privacy professional is protecting the individual from the excesses of a corporation or from a larger entity. The privacy professional is protecting a certain standard of ethics, a certain level of morals that they are governed, of course, by laws and regulations, Mm -hmm. but also just by good old-fashioned customer service, do unto others as you would to yourself. And the idea it is, or the difference is that uh, privacy professionals are looking at a different constituency when they are thinking about protection than the security professional. A security professional tends to look inward, protecting the property of his or her sponsor, whereas the privacy professional is protecting the agency of individuals when those individuals interact with an organization that, where, frankly, the power imbalance is substantial between the corporation and the individual. Privacy professionals serve as a kind of a bulwark to protect the individual against the excesses of the corporation. That's a really interesting way to look at it because I've, I've been in the situation before as a security professional where the company, you know, orders unto me, you know, thou shalt protect our intellectual property. Thou shalt protect us from brand damage and reputational harm. And one of those is automatically and intrinsically then thou shalt protect our customer's data, right? You never want to be the corporation whose partner, customer, employee data got leaked. You never want to be that person. So, I would argue there is still some overlap there in the sense that, yes, I'm protecting those individual things when I'm when I'm operating under those privacy rules as opposed to those security rules. But from a strictly protect my entity 
perspective, I am, in fact, also jointly protecting both, right? By protecting the employee data, I am protecting the company. By protecting the customer data, I am protecting the company. That's exactly right. And that's a very good way of explaining both the relationship of or why these two functions need to live very close to each other, but also why these two functions are a little different because it's really the purview. It's really what is being protected at the end of the day, whether you're talking to a security professional or a privacy professional. And therein lies, I think, some of the disconnect because by virtue of the fact that security professionals are in place to protect the property of their sponsors, they may not always be thinking outwardly towards the property or the agency of the individual. Right. And I guess at the end of the day, it's first order and second order concerns as well, right? Is kind of right. what I'm describing. Absolutely. Okay. So information security professionals then differing in that in that key way, and I'll, I'll go with your definition. I like that, you know, that, that, that it's, a, it's a matter of the sponsorship and the agency. Let's go with that. So what is it that an information security professional needs to know about privacy? Like, you know, I kind of alluded to it in the last question, but not just what they need to know, but what they need to be wary of, right? Yeah. I think the most important thing that an information security professional needs to understand about privacy is that many, if not most, of these solutions to privacy problems are not technological. Mm. They're process. They are administrative in nature. They're about establishing rules and enforcing those rules within organizations. Now, yes, you can use technology to help you enforce certain rules. But at the end of the day, it comes down to individual behaviors in the workplace mm -hmm. and the individual decisions that executives make within the workplace. Okay. So I guess one, one thing we're saying right there is from a security leader's perspective, they're going to get better bang for their buck aligning GRC with privacy over aligning the tech stack with privacy. You know, because to me, GRC focuses on people and process more than tech stack is obviously focusing on tech stack. And it, are, are we kind of going that way with it? Well, yes, I think so. GRC has an important place in this equation, both for security and privacy professionals. Mm -hmm. However, I would argue that privacy is a little larger than simply complying with this or that law mm -hmm. or reducing this or that risk. I believe that privacy is a means towards trust and confidence. And when we want to sell something to somebody else, we are going to have a heck of a time selling that individual something if they don't trust us first. Mm -hmm. Privacy is that means towards gaining and maintaining the trust and confidence of those stakeholders who interact with us, whether customer, partner, other stakeholders. Got it. Okay. I'm going to argue security's got some some higher mission and higher cause there as well, but, but I see your point. I, I get where you're going with it. Okay, so standards and frameworks like SOC 2, you alluded to these earlier where both privacy and security are required. HIPAA gets into this, SOC 2 gets into this, PCI even gets into this. Like, like In fact, most of them nowadays from a security perspective always have at least a splash of privacy. And I think most of the privacy regs, even GDPR has a splash of security, right? What should be the battle plan, right? If you're given a framework or a, or a regulatory situation and you've got to do both, what's the battle plan? How do we address them both? I think at a, at a high level, the battle plan ought to be to avoid battling in a vacuum. The information security professional should seek collaboration with other important functions within the organization. If we are talking about privacy in any way, shape, or form in some assessment that we're doing, we need to think about the things that impact privacy most acutely. 
the way we market our wares, the way we sell our wares, the sorts of the ways we communicate with our stakeholders, customers, partners, mm -hmm. whomever. These are key points of information necessary to make informed decisions about which direction to take from a privacy slash security perspective. When we're thinking about security, it is very efficient and usually quite effective to focus on risk when we are contemplating how to address this or that framework, such as SOC 2, for instance, where we look at a requirement in SOC 2 and we say, boy, we're not there yet, we're not doing it, and it's going to lead to this level of riskiness, and therefore we need to do X to address that. That's one element of a SOC assessment. But if you are getting into features that start to span into the world of privacy, we need to start thinking about the squishier subjects, mm -hmm. customer service, marketing, the communications, all those sorts of squishy, soft subjects that may not be appealing to a lot of folks, but in the privacy world, that is where they live, is mm. in these squishy shades of gray topics, which is, uh, and I forgot to mention this earlier, that is, in my view, one important distinction between the world of privacy and security, is that security tends to find itself most comfortable in a world of yes or no. Is it protected or not? Whereas privacy is more focus in shades of gray. To what degree is this thing that we're doing going to potentially impact the privacy of whomever we're, we're talking about, customer, constituents, so on and so forth. Right, right. And there are, in fact, those professions, There, you'll see two very distinct skill sets of folks that are in security versus folks that are in privacy that are well aligned to those needs to both think in black and white as well as think in shades of gray. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here thinking of things like CMMI and COVID and ITIL maturity overlays and thinking in terms of all the areas where security isn't so black and white. But but I think I get your point. I think the squishiness factor and the gray factor are greater for privacy than they are for security. But I would argue there's still some gray in security too. Is it secure Absolutely. enough? Eh, okay, so we got encryption on the critical fields, but we don't have full disk encryption yet. We'll do that next cycle. Do we have EDR? Yeah, but not on every host. So right now we got some firewalling around these key hosts. Like there's always those mitigations, those compensating controls that, that kind of represent the gray area for security. But I think to your point, maybe security folks feel a little uncomfortable comfortable with compensating controls and would much rather have it be check the big box. Yes, it's secure and move on. So I think you're right. I think there's more gray and more squishiness over on the privacy side of the fence. But to be fair, we've got gray over here on the security side too, right? I get it. And I completely agree with you. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. When it comes to IT and security, we can all agree on two things. Complexity is increasing, and the manual asset inventory approach no longer cuts it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate actions, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com forward slash get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com forward slash get dash A dash tour. 
All right, so if we've got all these shades of gray and we've got this mutual battle plan of, you know, first of all, don't battle in a vacuum. Second of all, don't battle with each other, right? Security and privacy working hand in hand, kumbaya. What do we think next steps are? Let's imagine we get hit with a SOC 2 and now privacy and security are sitting at the table. What are some concrete steps these guys are going to take? Security and privacy both, you know, as a coordinated and cooperative effort, do you do you divvy up the framework and say, privacy team, you handle the privacy requirements, security team, you handle the security team requirements? Because it seems to me that that interlap and oversight, you know, overlap and intersection, I should say. It seems that you can't be as divisive as, as perhaps the standard makes it seem. Here's your security section. Here's your privacy section. That's a great question. And it's not an easy answer, as you would expect. But not every organization has the resources or expertise internally to separate out a bona fide privacy person from a bona fide security person. There are many, many circumstances that we see where you have one individual who has been tagged. You're it. You're the privacy and security guy or security and privacy guy, whichever way it comes. And a lot of that is a, is in addition to resource constraints, it could be a misunderstanding at the executive level of the differences between privacy and security and where they have a need for two different skill sets. But that all withstanding, I see it uh, being a joint effort between the privacy and security professionals when trying to tackle an assessment like a SOC 2 with privacy added on. Now, SOC 2 is a great example because it makes it pretty easy to separate the privacy from the security because it says so in the SOC 2. You know, right. this is you privacy stuff, this is security stuff. Discrete sections. Right. And so that's an easy one. Not everyone is as simple, but I think that there is an equal place at the table for both parties. What they need to have is mutual respect for each other. The privacy folks need not view the security professional as merely some sort of an IT nerd right. who can only speak in bits and bytes. And the security person need not only view the privacy person as some sort of squishy, legal, soft subject. Policy wonk. <laughs> a policy wonk, right. There needs to be uh, some mutual respect between the two parties. And importantly, I think that it's that each party can and ought to learn not only from each other, but just in general, they should learn each other's profession to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Privacy people ought to get into some of the technical gobbledygook that we see in the security world. And the security people should have a better understanding of what and how and why the privacy people worry about the stuff that they worry about. And it comes down to looking outside of your own backyard and having a willingness to understand other people's points of views, of course, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to embrace it versus fight it. With that sort of attitude, an assessment such as a SOC 2 should be a relatively smooth exercise where both parties are feeding off of each other. Both parties recognize the expertise of the other, or each party recognizes that, and it feeds into a larger goal, which is successful completion of, of that activity. Okay. So, so one of the ways I know I'm winning as a CISO, right? Like people talk about what are your criteria for knowing you're doing it right, knowing you're running a good program as a security professional, security leader. One of the ways I know I'm winning is people start coming to me and saying, hey, I was thinking about doing this over here and that over there. And then it occurred to me there might be some security implications. So here I am talking to you, Mr. Security Professional, before I actually pull the trigger on whatever cockamamie scheme or, or brilliant idea or whatever it might be that I was up to. I assume there's kind of an analog in the privacy world, and I assume part of what this cooperation is you're talking about is maybe even the security people 
starting to clue in and proactively be like, hey, I was going to do the thing, but what about privacy? Is that is that a is that a tell for you when you know you're succeeding? And and who in the organization are you looking for to start alerting on these privacy things and coming to you proactively? Yeah, that is a great point. I do view that as a key indicator of success. When we have people that you didn't expect to come to you with a problem suddenly saying, hey, you're the privacy person or, hey, you're the security person. I was just thinking about this thing that we're doing and it kind of makes me feel a little uneasy. And I just wanted to bat some ideas past you. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you something. I know for a fact that folks in security love it when folks that don't normally come to talk to them are starting to talk to them because that means that they've actually gotten through to somebody where they otherwise may not have. And, you know, that can apply, of course, to the privacy folks as well. A lot of it comes down to the way one presents him or herself in the workplace. What I mean is to present oneself not as I do privacy and that's all I do, or I do security and that's all I do, but rather to say, I'm in it for the big picture. I want to protect both my sponsor, aka the company, and I want to protect individuals because Mm -hmm. I happen to be one of those people myself. Right. And when you're thinking in that way, at that sort of meta level, I think that really serves uh, serves the individual well in the workplace, whether privacy or security profession. Yeah, it's interesting that we have, I'm thinking of security awareness training and privacy training, right? Every company, every big company I've ever worked for has both. But it's interesting to me that security includes the word awareness and privacy almost never does, right? <laughs> in, in other words, we want you to be more aware of the dumb things you might do and, and the smart things you might do and the implications of what you're doing and, da, 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 and how that will impact security. We want you aware. And for privacy, it's like these are the rules, these are the regs. Note and acknowledge here that you've ex- absorbed them, right? It, it's not – they don't incorporate the word awareness. And, and I wonder if if that's a flaw in our thinking with privacy versus security. If we don't have some sort of need for, hey, guys, here's why privacy matters. You know, to your point, I'm one of those people myself, right? Getting that stakeholder buy-in, getting that interest from the community, getting them to recognize they have skin in the game. Why isn't there privacy awareness training? Right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that perception of privacy not providing the gray area, as it were, for the, with the awareness yeah. versus that privacy telling you this is how it's done. Hi, that's an interesting perception, and it's a regrettable perception. I know from my standpoint, I treat the two subjects the very same way. It's mm-hmm. awareness, regardless. Now, the awareness might be a little different. What I mean is, in security. We tend to want to make people away aware of the sorts of mistakes that they can make that will get the company in trouble or get themselves in trouble or both. Right. Okay. Don't do this because if you do it, it may cause a breach and, oh, terrible things will happen and blah, blah, blah. Now, in the privacy world, the awareness is something just a little different in my view. It is awareness of how you are communicating, how you are selling, how you are marketing that potentially endangers the privacy of the individual. And so instead of asking questions about avoiding dumb stuff, it's rather asking questions about, are we selling our wares Mm -hmm. in a way that potentially endangers the privacy of individuals? Are we marketing our wares in the way? And more importantly, are we thinking about privacy in terms of trust and confidence, or are we thinking of privacy in terms of simple 
compliance with this or that law. Right. I would argue that anybody who approaches privacy as merely a function of complying with this or that law is doing it wrong. Right. And I think that's the prevalent model. Yeah. They're missing an opportunity because privacy, in my view, is a customer service issue. It's how customers want and expect to be treated by the companies that they do business with. Right, right. They don't want surprises. They want to maintain a certain level of agency. They, meaning the customer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. want the customer or the uh, the stakeholder wants to know that he or she has at least a modicum of control of the information that they hand over willingly or unwillingly to the companies that they do business with. And so it's looking at it, it's looking at the question from a, of awareness from a slightly different angle, in my view. I get it. Yeah. So, okay, that's interesting that it is so compliance-oriented in, in my experience. And that, and that brings me to two more questions that are kind of the same thing. So I've been the security guy tagged with privacy to your model. In some organizations, congrats, you're both, right? And I've also been the security guy working in conjunction with a named privacy lead who was not me, thank goodness. General counsel sometimes, actual chief privacy officer if the company's that mature and that sophisticated in that realm. And so I learned early that as a security person, even deconstructing GDPR and saying, well, these are the technical controls I would administer to help fulfill these requirements, that I not be the one interpreting those requirements, that that is best done by someone besides me, the security professional. I had to recognize I'm not qualified and I'm in over my head. And I went to the the, the boss who, who tagged me with both of those labels at the same time and said, at a bare minimum, we need some outside counsel to come in for a few hours and meet with me because I'm reading this stuff and I'm now interpreting law. And it struck me that, you know, I'm over my skis here. Like, this is crazy for me to be doing this. I can work with that attorney or that chief privacy officer or general counsel, whoever it might be, and say, okay, you tell me, what does this actually mean and what are they actually requiring and what are the rules and regs that we are going to choose? Because every bit of law is interpretation. I'm sorry, I don't care how crystal clear they think they wrote the legislation. There's always room for interpretation. And you need somebody to make that hard call of this is where we draw the line. Okay, if that's where the line is and that's my target as security guy, I can take it from here. I know what technology gets me to that line, right? And so that's the caution I've learned in, in going through this exercise. The piece I'm interested in and the two questions I have for you kind of around this is, first of all, do you agree that there's a line the security person shouldn't be crossing here and that there's danger and risk there? And then the second question is, as somebody who is monitoring and managing this stuff, how the heck do you keep up with the myriad privacy laws that are constantly coming out? It feels like every other month. I'll answer the second question first because that's easier. You don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't. There are the leading organization. For privacy professionals, which is called the International Association of Privacy Professionals, or IAPP, is the leading or it's the gold standard organization for the privacy profession. That organization provides a tremendous amount of resources available to privacy professionals, including keeping up with this and that law, the changes in the law at an international level. So too do law firms provide, uh, many, many, many large law firms provide free blogs and other sorts of informational services that helps people like me stay on top of the changes. Okay. Outside of that, you do need some pretty expensive tools to stay really close to the changes in law as it's happening, which not every uh, privacy professional has access to. And so for the everyday privacy professional, it's really just kind of keeping your ears open and staying on top of the key headlines 
and just staying abreast of that information. Once you are forced then to dive into the details of a given topic, then at least you know where to find it. Okay. All right. So that ties into my first question then, which is, uh, yes. can, can the security professional relying on those outside resources say they interpreted and they drew that line in, in the model I described where the line must be drawn here? And then do, do we feel like a security professional can get away with using those outside resources or should they still be seeking someone else? Well, to give you a lawyerly response, it depends. It really depends on the skills that the security professional brings to bear. Mm -hmm. If the security professional is not a particularly strong writer or reader of very esoteric materials, then probably not. But if the security leader is rounded and is equally adept at technology as they are with humanities and you know the squishy the subjects, squishy stuff, yeah. then quite possibly. Now, there is a line to be drawn between interpreting and operationalizing mm -hmm. statutes and regulations versus interpreting a given statute or regulation for purposes of defending oneself in court mm. from either a contractual standpoint or from just a tort, you know, from torts, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, tort actions. And that is where we really need the expertise and the authority that a lawyer brings to the table. Right, right. However, I will argue strenuously that there are many, many privacy professionals who are not practicing attorneys who are absolutely adept and very competent when it comes to interpreting and operationalizing mm -hmm. this or that security privacy requirement yeah. within the organization because of what you said. It is. It's just an interpretation. And if you're talking about a regulation, frankly, the only body that can formally interpret that regulation is the regulator themselves. Right. And you don't want to be in that position. <laughs> you, yeah. you want to avoid being in that position. And so you make your best efforts to interpret whatever that reg or whatever that statute is saying in a way that makes sense for your organization. Yeah. But you need to have a spidey sense to know when the line is drawn and when there is a, a cutoff between operationalization a big word yep. and interpretation for purposes of either the needs of get up against that I'm yeah. nervous line and that's when you go upstairs and say hey outside counsel even just four hours here's my eight points of nervousness yes exactly okay so my next question was going to be which do you prefer to work in security or privacy but I think I know the answer to that one <laughs> actually I enjoy both worlds I will say that my personality is more attuned to the world of privacy because I tend to think in big fluffy clouds Venn diagrams, how things connect to each other from a three million foot view, that doesn't always serve me well in the world of security, but I do like security as well. I like what security brings to the table. I like what privacy brings to the table. So I'll, I'll say both. Okay. With a little edge, with a little edge towards privacy. All right. I'll take that answer. Okay. So final <laughs> question. This is one I ask every guest, and this one's going to be slightly unique for you because I'm going to add or privacy to this sentence. Normally it's just the word security, but if you could wave a magic wand and change any one thing in security or privacy, what would it be? I'll stick to privacy, and I will reiterate what I said before. I believe that organizations do themselves a disservice when they treat the topic of privacy as merely a regulatory headache. Mm -hmm. I 
believe that privacy is a means towards differentiating themselves oneself in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. I believe it is a means towards improving the client experience or from start to end. I believe that privacy is key element of the golden rule that we all follow. Yeah. Like, do unto others as you would to yourself. And I see far too many instances of privacy being treated as merely a regulatory headache for which we adopt the absolute least that we have to do to meet the spirit of the regulation and nothing more. And that kills me because I see a lot of organizations losing opportunity as a result of that. I get it. And I, you know, it's funny because in the security world, there's two mantras that we all say, or at least us modern CISOs do. One is security is more than compliance, right? You have to be wary of the frameworks and letting them dominate and dictate everything. Security is more than compliance. And then the other mantra is align with the business, align with the business, align with the business. And what I just heard you say was essentially those same two things for privacy. Mm -hmm, absolutely. All right. Well, Adam Stone, Chief Privacy Officer at TrustMap, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>